Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. Fargo's on it, man. Every week, he pushes the boundaries. It is time for another episode of the Only Three Lads podcast. Welcome. If it's your first time here, what we do is we look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. Everyone's welcome. This is a huge community. I'm Uncle Greg. And of course, we have two other great guys on this podcast who are way more important than me. First, we have Brett Varda. I don't know about that, Greg. You guys bring so much to you learn. my music listening experience this these past few weeks that I'm just amazed, and I really do appreciate it. Yeah, we make a great team. Bueno here. That's correct. Bueno, our elder statesman who was there, always there, in the middle of it. So he has actual, you know, you, you got stories because when we were little kids, you were going to these shows and you were seeing these things with your own eyes. Yeah, you know, I was like 16 when all this started. You've been causing and, uh, trouble since we was in diapers. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And the funny thing was, I, I was like in high school. And <laughs> people thought I was like in my 20s or, you know, just because I was like 6'2 and could grow a mustache overnight. <laughs> so so you were buying of, the beer, right? Uh, you got it. There you go. I already knew yeah. it. All right. Well, this week, what we're looking at is our top five albums of 1977. Or excuse me, 1997. I have the nine right here in front of me, but 1997. And of course, it was a great year for, you know, for music. We had, uh, you know, a Barbie girl come out from Agua oh, and we yeah. had Bob from Hanson. This was yeah. just then. But of course, we had a lot of great alternative music come out that year, too. Well, you pretty much hit all the big ones. So I think we can stop this episode right here. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Right, you know, we'll I did like Umbop. Yeah. Well, Umbop was not a bad song, uh, but uh, Barbie girl, I kind of totally skipped it. And then when my son was a little kid, he found it on YouTube, and then I heard it, and it was not as horrible as I thought, but it was still pretty horrible. It's very horrible. Yeah. Well, they sold a lot. But anyways, all right. So here we go. It's the top five albums of 1997. And Bueno, you're first this week. I'm first? Okay. Yes, sir. Well, Everclear, you guys heard of that band, right? Yeah, most definitely. So, so much for the Afterglow is my number five. That record was released October 7th, 1997 by uh, our favorite uh, manufacturers of records in the world, Capitol Records. Here is the money that I owe you. Yes, you can pay the bills. I will give you more when I get paid again. I hate those people who love to tell you money is the root of all the kills. Uh, five singles from this great record, Everything to Everyone, hit number one. I Will Buy You a New Life, that one hit number three. Father of Mine hit number four. And, you know, these three songs really received a lot of heavy rotation on MTV's Total Request Live, and that popped them into the mainstream popularity of the late 90s. 
And uh, this record is remaining to be uh, Everclear's best-selling album of all time and the uh, two times platinum certification in 1998. And that baby reached 33 on the Billboard 200 for 1997. Everclear so much for the afterglow. What you guys think? Great pick. I remember playing all those songs on the radio station. Just yep. uh, They were on heavy rotation. You would hear, probably if you were doing a four-hour shift, you would at least play two of those songs. For sure. I don't know that I've heard yeah. the whole thing. Seriously? It's great. Yeah. Oh, it's a great album. You'll be surprised. All right. Who's next? It's going to be me. All right. Uncle Greg with my number five. Now, it's not this band's best album, but it came out in April of 97. My number five is Depeche Mode's Ultra. Now, Andrew Wilder had just left the band, and we found out he did a lot of the work, uh, but he left a little disillusioned. Of course, Dave Gahan, he had his near-fatal overdose right around this time. People thought that the band was done. I remember thinking, no, please, don't let Depeche Mode break up. bought this album again not my favorite but a lot of great singles on there barrel of a gun useless and of course the biggest one it's no good which i remember you know spinning that song on a radio station best albums for me of 1997 Depeche Mode's Ultra great album Brett all right so I'll preface my number five by saying that I was still very much in the throes of the Britpop scene in 1997 and most of what else that was happening in the music world was just a blip on my radar so I was looking at uh, the list of some of the biggest albums of 1997 in the U.S. things like the Spice Girls Puff Daddy Garth Brooks and it just tells me how vastly different my 1997 experience was and that's reflected on my list today so my number five pick is Primal Scream's Vanishing Point released on July 7th and hitting number two on the UK album charts shortly thereafter. Primal Scream, of course, has done a little of everything in their career. They started out as a rather twee, jangly guitar pop band after Bobby Gillespie's departure from the Jesus and Mary chain, but soon incorporated dance music, electronic, dub, Stonesy Swagger, Stoogy Sludge, gospel-influenced soul, and just about any other style that they fancied. So with Vanishing Point, they successfully melded all of their strengths into one album.
So the day I got this album, I was sick as a dog with a massive fever. I picked it up on my way home after getting some pretty strong meds, because even sick, I still couldn't pass up a record store. <laughs> I got home, popped my pills, got into bed, and put Vanishing Point on repeat. I've never taken an illicit drug before in my life, but this was probably the closest I've ever come to a trip. I was in and out of lucidity, alternating between chills, hot flashes, sweats, and this brilliant album provided the soundtrack for a hazy, druggy, intense, psychedelic dream that, well, lasted hours, but felt like a lot longer. <laughs> So, that's my number five pick, Primal Scream's Vanishing Point. Wow, I never had a, that ever happened to me before. I'm glad. That sounds kind of scary. It was actually, it was actually kind of cool. Well, yeah, cool and scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never had that happen to me either. I'm sober, but um, besides that, I mean. All right, we're up to number four. Bueno, what is it? Uh, number four, Third Eye Blind, mm. their first studio album. That was released March 26, 1997 by Elektra Records, and that baby spawned uh, five singles, actually, including Top 10 Hitted Charts, Semi-Charmed Life, Jumper, and How's It Gonna Be? That album actually peaked at number 25, and this is, this was some nice information. That thing spent 106 weeks on the charts. Wow. Wow. Yeah, these, this day and age, you don't see stuff like that happen. Yeah. And this is actually their best-selling album. Certified six times, six times platinum. And wow. actually, my favorite song is uh, How's It Gonna Be? I wonder how it's gonna be when you don't know me. How's it gonna be when you're so I'm not there? How's it gonna be when there's no one there to talk to between you and me? And do you know that song, uh, "Semi Charm Life"? That it was re it, it was released um, with the lead singer. Can't think of his name right now. Yep. But he was in a band called Nat and Something, and there was a 90210 compilation album that came out, and that song was on there, but it was completely different. And then when that band broke up, he like purchased the rights to the song from his bandmate, and then "Semi Charm Life" became you know the big hit that it was in 97 we played that song on the radio station over and over and over again i know that song very well yeah, yeah i think it was played to death yeah i'm pretty sure But they're on tour this year. They're coming through uh, Phoenix here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, they got a new album coming out. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So they're still alive. Yeah, they're still alive. I bet you 91X played the heck out of that thing in the day, too. Oh, oh they sure did. did. 
<laughs> yeah, that that was a huge song. I mean, all, you know, how's it going to be? Was the ballad yep. type of thing? I mean, it, all those songs, those three songs you just talked about, Bueno, yep. we played over and over. Yeah, it was on. That's why it was on the charts for 106 weeks. We played it for 106 weeks, if not more. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's some incredible staying power. I really liked How's It Gonna Be, but again, I don't think I've ever heard the whole album. So you guys are telling me that I have some catching up to do. Yeah, that's a great album. Definitely. So that's my number four. Semi-Charm Life. or uh, uh, Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. I'm on Dayquil right now also, so I know about the hallucinations, Brett. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> going on right now. All right, well, um, it, it's it's time for my number four of the top five albums of 1997. And again, I think I'm going to throw a curveball at you guys because a lot of times I'm into rock and I say pretty uh, crazy things. But um, I really love this artist. At number four, Sarah McLaughlin's Surfacing. Now, it oh. was released coinciding with Lilith Fair. Uh, when I was on 106.3, I almost got fired because uh, the PD was a woman. Her name was Shelly Hearn or Shelly Hart, which she was, that's how she went by on the air. And um, she went into my operation manager's office and said, we have to fire Uncle Greg because he called Lilith Fair Vagina Palooza. Oh, <laughs> that's what my it was. Gosh. And the operation manager laughed so loud and so long, she backed out, shut the door. And then days later, I found out about how she went in there demanding I be fired, but it just didn't happen. Of course, yeah. Oh, so that, that album got two Grammys. Of course, Building a Mystery, Sweet Surrender on that album. And um, I was there. You know, Sarah McLaughlin, she had a nervous breakdown in Phoenix a few years before this album came out. And I think I was there because she came to the radio station in the morning. I want to say it was June. And anybody could have a nervous breakdown in Phoenix in June. It is so hot. But I remember yeah. seeing her that morning. And years later, I heard about this nervous breakdown that she's talked about. And I was like, wow, I wonder if I had anything to do with it. I hope not, because uh, I was just an intern. and I was just standing in the room. But um, I think I was there the day that happened. So I was always into her music. And uh, of course, this, this album, sometimes I get into those moods where I want to listen to, you know, a Tori Amos, so Sarah McLaughlin, and that's what I do. And so that's my number four, Sarah McLaughlin's surfacing of my top five albums of 1997. You know, Uncle Greg, that that one actually uh, was from that concert. That's why she had her nervous breakdown. She was on the road for like two and a half years uh, pitching her other album and stuff. That's right. what caused her nervous breakdown. Oh, she gosh. had an issue. She couldn't even write for the first six months when they asked her to start that new record. So uh, that that was all part of it. It wasn't really? you. Okay, good. It wasn't you. Thank just God. wanted to let you know, so you wouldn't be worrying about that anymore. Darn! <laughs> it makes for a much better story if Uncle Greg single-handedly led to Sarah McLaughlin's breakdown. Well, I just yeah. remember seeing her, and she looked not good that morning. Not that she was, you know, she looked drunk or high or nothing like that, but just, you know, someone who's just had it, and Wear it was hot, and she was wearing overalls, and you know, it's just. It, you could just tell in her face that it, it, it was going to be a long day, and apparently it was. Okay. Well. All right, Brett, it's time for your number four. 
Okay, please help the dogs. Brought to you by Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin. All right, so for number four, I took a complete left turn from Sarah McLaughlin, and I went with Barafundal by Gorky Zygotic Monkey, released on April 7th of 97. And just in case you're wondering, that is monkey spelled M-Y-N-C-I, which is Welsh. Another day is begun. Gorky's was a Welsh band who was really hard to peg. Their sound was an alchemic blend of pop, indie rock, pastoral folk, whimsical psychedelia, and medieval-era minstrel music, with shifting time signatures and lyrics sung in both Welsh and English. Sometimes, all of this would happen within the same song. This was their first proper album released in the U.S. following the 1996 compilation Introducing, which, by the way, was a fantastic way to catch up with the band up to that point and is probably their best complete work. The whole thing evokes this feeling of these mischievous, psychedelic little imps skipping school and going to the Renaissance Fair, especially when the album contains songs such as The Barafundal Bumbler, The Wizard and the Lizard, and Star Moon Sun, which is all one word, of course. It sounds somewhat foreign and alien, out of step with the times, and yet somehow fit in perfectly with the Britpop era. The album gave the band their closest thing to a hit, the UK number 41 single, Patio Song, which also landed at number 8 on John Peel's Best of 50 for that year. So, they are also my number four choice for albums in 1997, Barafundal by Gorky's Zygotic Monkey. I'm going to have to check that out. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, I got to get a copy of that one. Wow. Can you send me a copy of that one? Yes, I will send you a 100% legal copy of that. Okay, cool. Put it in the mail. Nudge, nudge. It'll be burned. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, hey, I'm learning new music here on the Only Three Lads podcast. Hopefully you are, too. Don't forget, make sure and tell all your friends where they can find us. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, the iHeartRadio app. We're going to take a break right now because we've been through our first two on our list of the top five albums of 1997. We'll come up with three and number three and number two in about two minutes right after this. Only Three Lads is brought to you by Rapids Wholesale Food Service Equipment and Supply. For all your commercial kitchen smallwares and equipment needs, as well as bar supplies, Rapids is your one-stop shop. Basically, if you serve food and drink, we serve you. You have a partner with Rapids, and our very own David Bueno is standing by to be your sales rep. Visit rapidswholesale.com. Again, that's rapids with an S, wholesale.com for the web store. Thank you. It is time for your only three lads, music news. South by Southwest 2020 has been canceled due to growing concerns over the coronavirus. Austin's Mayor Steve Adler declared a countywide state of disaster and issued a formal order canceling the popular music, film, and tech conference. Bush revealed that a new album titled Kingdom 
will be released in May. The new single is already streaming. It's called Flowers on a Grave. The band will embark on a U.S. summer tour with Breaking Benjamin, Theory of a Dead Man, St. Asonia, and Corey Marks. And Liz Fair is announcing her first album in 10 years. It's titled Soberish and due on store shelves this summer. The veteran alt-rocker has also lined up a U.S. tour of the same name, slated to launch just before she hits the road with Alanis Morissette. That's your Only Three Lads music news. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast. No matter who you are, no matter what you love, no matter who you're going to vote for in November, as long as you love music, this is your place to be. We look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. I'm Uncle Greg with Brett and Bueno. Today we're going through our top five albums of 1977, guys. No. What do you think so far? No, no. no. Wait. 97. Get in the time machine and, and move forward 20 years. I know. Uh, I, I, that's, I've done that twice now. Okay, yeah. our top five albums of 1997. Guys, what do you think so far? I'm going to start with my number three, if that's okay with you guys. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So number three, this is the the one I thought that we would probably cross over, but uh, by Harvey Danger. Where have all the merry merrymakers gone? <laughs> and this is their first album. Of course, um, that was the first one I thought of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Amer- American rock band Harvey Danger. I, I mean, this, this song, Flagpole Sitting, uh, I mean, this thing has been played forever, it seems like. I mean, every time I hear this thing, I mean, I just go, wow, this thing sounds like it just came out yesterday. And I've had people say, that just come out? I'm like, yeah, 1997. I mean, what else can I say about this record, you guys? If you haven't heard this, you need to pick this up. And uh, that's my number three. I mean, it costs $3,000 to make, and the, the band actually handed them out or sold their actually produced cassettes at their shows. Number three, Harvey Danger. Where have all the berry makers gone? Well, have have you heard about how that band got together? No. Well, they were music critics for, you know, like New Times or wherever city that you're in. They have those weekly newspapers. So they were something of the New Times in, uh, I think it was uh, Portland or Seattle. I think it was Seattle. And so basically what happened was that they were saying all these bands stink. So some band people said, well, if you can do so well, why don't you do better? Yeah. And then they came up with Harvey Danger and Flagpole said it. As you said, we oh play the gosh. heck out of that song. You still hear it on the radio today, and it does sound fresh. I heard it's it. A great question. Are there better songs than that on the record? Uh, not as recognizable. Not as, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't get bored listening to that. All right. Yeah. That's the only song I know from that oh, album, no. and it never made me want to listen to any more. You know, I give every record a chance. I should, I know. That's how I've always been. Just think if you didn't do that to any of the Beatle records. Oh, unthinkable. What would you miss out on? 
I'm just saying there's some other ones out there not like the Beatles, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, so, you're right. Harvey Danger, man. Number three. Sometimes you have to dig for that gold, right? Mm-hmm. You do. Yep. All right. Well, here we're up to my number three, and I'm not sure if you guys even know this band, but their album came out in September 97. This band kind of ran in the same circles and lived in the same neighborhood as No Doubt. Uh, they're a ska band, Save Ferris. Their album, yep. It Means Everything. Uh, I was onto this band early because I knew somebody who was working with the band before the album came out. So I had this local music show called Triple Exposure, then it became Locals Only. And so every show I was on for about an hour, two hours, I would play two songs from a local band from somewhere else. And I remember playing The World Is New, which is on this album. People called and we started, we added it. And then they had Come On Eileen from Dexie's Midnight Runner. They did a cover of that song, which was all over MTV. Save Ferris, they were actually on tour last year. Um, Monique Powell was the lead singer. She would always wear these roller skates on stage, made her like eight feet tall. Uh, but uh, the whole band, it was just, if you're in a bad mood, you could turn that frown upside down with Save Ferris's album, It Means Everything. A lot of great songs on there. And that's my number three of the top five albums of 1997. You know, that was on my part, my last 22. They, they made my last 22. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And this this was a hard week because there was a lot of great music that came out in 97. And I you know, I was like, do I take that off or take this off? Okay, what did that one mean to me? It was kind of hard to really cut this list down to five. Yeah, yeah well, you're absolutely right. A lot of great records in 97. To me, 97 was probably the second best year after 1994 in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Brett, what's your number three? Okay, so my number three is In It For The Money by Supergrass, released on April 21st of our subject year. I've been a Supergrass fan since our first few singles throughout 1994 and 1995. They also had the distinction of being the first band that I really took note of where the principal member, who's Gaz Coombs, was younger than me by a year and a half. And that's one of those weird transitionary moments where, you know, you grow up, with all the bands you love being significantly older than you, then all of a sudden you start to catch up and then you realize, hey, these guys are actually younger than me. I love the bratty, youthful exuberance of their debut, I Should Coco, and its signature songs, All Right and Caught by the Fuzz. But fast forward a couple of years and In It For The Money was something completely different. They could have just as easily have made I Should Coco part deux, but this was the right move to avoid the sophomore slump. It was ambitious, dense, textured, vaguely psychedelic, and yet as tuneful and accessible as the first album. Uh, In It For The Money represents a great mature leap forward. 
and the public responded well. It hit number two on the UK charts, spawned three top 10 singles, and even the groovy Cheapskate was a minor US modern rock chart success. So while they titled the album In It For The Money, it's evident upon one listen that, like much of what Supergrass did during their career, their tongues were firmly planted in cheek. Enemy called it more fun than watching a wombat in a washing machine. Sounds like high praise to me. And there you have it, my number three is the great In It For The Money by Supergrass. Great record. Yeah, it sure is. All right, Bueno, we're up to you. For our top five albums of 1997 on this Only Three Lads podcast, what is your number two? Well, you know, I knew we were going to have crossovers, so here's here's the first one. So my number two is uh, Sarah McLaughlin's Surfacing. Oh, so, there we go. There I we thought go. I was the only uh, soft, fluffy one this week, but it looks like <laughs> you are too, Bueno. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, same all right. Well, you know, that's her fourth fourth studio album. She's amazing. And that baby was released uh, July 15, 1997. We were talking about her mentally exhausted from touring for two and a half years, promoting her fumbling toward ecstasy record. It found it was tough for her to, like, I can't do my words like she was having problems concentrating on her new record. And it took six, it took six months off in Vancouver, you know, so she wrote her 10 songs for the album and Went to the studio in Quebec to record, released, and coinciding with the start of the Lilith Fair tour, as you said, Greg. The album was a commercial success, and that baby is probably sold, oh, maybe like what, 16 million units worldwide? And uh, that would be my number two, Surf McLaughlin Surfacing. Soft and fluffy. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think Bueno is more cuddly than me. Uh, maybe a little bit, but I, I, I still would have my vote for you, Bueno. Is that an invitation? <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's just funny because, you know, like a lot of times, just like we were talking about this morning, I was talking about how people daylight saving time and I want to rip someone's face off. But then I pick Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> on, 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 on my list. You're an enigma, Greg. Uh, yeah, people can't figure me out. I'm, I'm just a mess. All right. So we're up to my number two in this band. Uh, boy, this, this, this album just exploded. I remember being on the radio and just playing this song and people were just requesting it over and over again. Uh, my number two is the prodigy fat of the land. Uh, oh. of course it, this is the same week we have the anniversary that we lost Keith Flint a year ago. Uh, but it started with Firestarter. If you saw that video on MTV, it just looked different from anything else. Then of Great. course we had the controversy with smack my bitch up, uh, and then breathe came out. And whenever, if you hear these songs today, they still, Hold up, they still sound great to me. I'm a fire starter, 
course, it was released on Maverick Records, which Madonna owned. And if you want to have a lesson in uh, regret, Liam Howlett, of course, he was the guy who basically was Prodigy. He did all the music, did all the, uh, you know, put the songs together, everything. Madonna wanted him to produce her album at the time because he was on her record label. And I guess he wanted to pull a uh, Johnny Rotten was just like, no way, I would never work. Now, if you read his stuff, he's like, that's one of my biggest regrets of not working with Madonna because it, what would have opened up for him, the doors that would have opened up, maybe uh, Maverick would have got behind the next album a little bit harder. But that is my number two, The Prodigy, Fat of the Land, for my top five albums of 1997. Wow. And, and that would have been Madonna's Ray of Light album, right? That is correct, yeah. which sold millions. Wow. So he could have had a nice payday, too. He could have maybe... I don't know. I'm sure he made pretty good money with Fat of the Land, but not like producing. Oh, we're on quite a streak here because I have not heard that one it's in, in its entirety as well. And I love Prodigy when they came out with that album. I uh, love Firestarter. Keith Flint is the singer, correct? Correct. The guy with the double mohawk. Okay, yeah. So when, when he came out, I mean, he just seemed dangerous. I and mean, it wasn't just the the accent. It wasn't just the look. Uh, but he seemed like the second coming of Johnny Rodden for a short time. I mean, he just seemed to have that yeah. menacing sneer. But I never did pick up the entire record. So um, we're on quite a streak where I haven't heard any of the records that you guys have mentioned so far. So I've got a lot of homework wow. to do. And that's pretty amazing considering how much music I consume. Like I was saying on the uh, 91X Facebook page this morning, I was mentioning something about how much uh, you probably have like one gigabyte or one terabyte of music up there in your brain. And and there's like albums kind of like flipping around, trying to get out to have you play it and stuff. And yeah, they're just fighting to get out, man. Yeah, it's a scary so, place. And Brett, as you're doing your hike in the morning, this would be a good yeah. album. The Prodigy, Fat of the oh, Land, yeah. if you need to get going. I mean, fire started, breathe, breathe, breathe with me. And then, of course, smack my bitch up. Um, maybe as long as your headphones are on, some people might find that offensive like they did 23 years ago. But <laughs> it's a great yeah. song. Yeah, I love those singles. Okay, so my number two pick is an album that certainly needs no more plaudits, especially from the likes of Scourge like me, as it occasionally tops the list of the greatest albums of all time, mentioned in the same breath as Sgt. Pepper, Revolver, Pet Sounds, and the like. In fact, I even hesitated putting it on this list because it's almost too obvious, and I think it may be our first triple match that we've had on the show yet. I realize that they would be awfully disingenuous of me to not put it on my list, though. What can I say? I love OK Computer by Radiohead, released on May 21st, 1997. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't pick it. You didn't? That's why. Oh, no. man. Well, I can't say anything that hasn't been said a thousand times before about this album, but OK Computer was a monumental achievement, obviously, taking the structured, song-oriented approach of the previous album, The Bends, which I absolutely love, and turning it on its ear. The sounds and lyrics become more abstract and more atmospheric, hinting at the Radiohead that would soon become the biggest, most important band in the world. Even though OK Computer arguably represents Radiohead at their peak, 
It's a transitional album in that they still seemed genuinely interested in creating pop music. That's something that later Radiohead albums somewhat lose sight of, and as a Radiohead fanatic, I do not mean that as a criticism in any way. But the songs on OK Computer push boundaries, are futuristic, haunting, moving, and affecting, and very importantly, lodge themselves into the memory banks of the computers inside of us all. So... <laughs> is my number two choice, OK Computer by Radiohead. Awesome. That is a good yeah. one. Guys, it's time for another break here on, here on the Only Three Lads podcast. As we take a look at the golden age of alternative music, we are going through our top five albums of 1997. Our number ones are coming up next. Psst, can you keep a secret? No? Well, good, we don't want you to. Tell all your friends about the Only Three Lads podcast. One listener, Christina Hall, did just that, leaving us a glowing review. Christina wrote, I absolutely love this podcast and the guys in it, and find myself laughing and nodding along. I also love when they talk about concerts I was at. If you're into music, this is awesome. And if you lived and loved the beginning of alt in the 80s, this is for you. Wow, we're touched, Christina. And not to toot our own horns, but we agree completely. Insert winky smiley face. Join the O3L community by liking our page at facebook.com slash only3lads. We surely appreciate it. Now back to the show. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's right. Record Store Day is right around the corner on Saturday, April 18th, 2020. Amongst the special releases for the day are a couple of previously unreleased Bowie titles, one recorded live on the Soul Tour in 1974, and the other at an acoustic rehearsal in 1986. A Cheap Trick 1977 live set, a New Order Peel session from 1982, a Pretenders 1980 show recorded in Boston, the Ramones' It's Alive 2, which is a chronological prequel of sorts to their classic live album It's Alive, the Replacements Complete and Concerated Live, which captures the band on the Don't Tell a Soul tour, and vinyl reissues of classics by The Cure, Suede, The Church, and much, much more. So get out and support your local record store, not just on Record Store Day, but every day. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast. Once again, thank you for spending some time with us. If you've been here before, thanks for coming back. If it's your first time, welcome. Make sure and tell all your friends about the Only Three Lads podcast. You could find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Apple Podcast, and the iHeartRadio app. I'm Uncle Greg. We also have Brett. We also have Bueno. And hey. we're here to our number one, top five albums of 1997. And Bueno, you're up. All right. My number one is by a band called Foo Fighters, The Color and the Shape. And this was actually the second studio album by the Foo Fighters, released May 20th, 1997 by Roswell and Capitol Records, and actually marked the official de debut of Foo Fighters as a band as uh, Dave Grohl recruited guitarist Pat Smear, bassist Nate Mendel, and drummer William Goldsmith. 
to form the band's full lineup. Pre-production began in the fall of 96 and Gil Norton was brought in to establish a pop sensibility to the, the tracks, inspired by Dave's divorce from photographer Jennifer Youngblood in 1996. The record's track listing was to assemble a therapy session, splitting the albums up between up-tempo tracks and ballads to reflect conflicting emotions. The early sessions at Bear Creek Studio in Washington went poorly as they started over with Dave sitting on drums instead of Goldsmith, which actually pissed him off that most of his material was re-recorded, and soon after that, uh, he, he left the band. The singles uh, Monkey Wrench, Everlong, and My Hero all peaked within the top 10, and the album charted at number 10 on the Billboard 200. It was a commercial success overseas, peaking at number 3 in the UK. It remains to be Foo's biggest seller of all time, selling more than 2 million copies as the album was remastered and reissued in 2007 with uh, several bonus tracks. And for that 10th anniversary, uh, when I got that, I, I fell in love with the cover of uh, Gary Newman's Down in the Park. Oh my gosh, you guys, I don't know if you've heard that. No, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's, an, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing. That album actually was recorded at Grandmaster uh, Recording Studio in Hollywood from January to February of 97. Um, pretty much, uh, Norton had his greatest impact during the pre-production during the days he spent with Grohl in his hotel room, literally stripping the songs back to their original basics. And that's kind of how that album came about. And it's an incredible record, top to bottom. second single was certified double platinum in the United States and being one of the only three Food Fighter songs to ever reach that status. Number 10, it peaked out on the Billboard 200 and it also managed to reach the top 10 in Australia, Canada, Greece, Ireland, New Zealand, Sweden, and the UK. Certified platinum in the United States, Australia, Canada, and the United Kingdom. That's my number one. Food Fighters, the color and the shape. Yeah. That was a big record. Yeah. And that's right about when Pat Smear left the band that first time. Yeah. Because that came out because I was in Greece. And, you know, back then we didn't have the Internet. So all the news didn't, you know, go across as quickly as it does now across the pond. And I was in Greece and I was watching MTV and they were talking about how they were, Pat Smear was leaving the band. And then I remember because when I was in Europe, I was on vacation. So I'm calling back to the radio station giving music news of... Europe. And when I said that, people wouldn't, because no one had heard it in America yet that he was leaving the Foo Fighters. But when I started talking about that and then it happened, everyone was like, wow, I didn't think that was real. Yep. Crazy but that's stuff. a great album. Great yes, album. it is. So that's my number one. That one also Foo. passed me by. No, you got to check out the Foo Fighters. I mean, everything oh. that they do, it's just wow. Even yes. the, the most recent stuff. Like oh, they had the it. album come out, and I'm sure, Bueno, you know the name of it, but they, they did it all on tape. And they cut up the tape and then put it in the album. 
And so you have a little piece of like a little yep. souvenir. And yeah, I, I got still one have of those. Yep. Me too. Yep. Uh, but a great band. And Dave Grohl, what a talented guy. I mean, you think he's just the drummer of Nirvana. And then he goes <laughs> and he kind of makes the Foo Fighters where he was just kind of did it on his own and was handing out to friends because he kind of was just killing time. And then all of a sudden, I mean, Damn. they're one of the most important bands really of the last 20, 25 years. I know, but they only sold like 10 million records. though. what's up with that? Come on, guys. There's Come on, people. Buy that guy's records. He is amazing. Yeah, but go to every one of their shows and every seat, yep. there's a butt in it. So uh -huh. that's big too. Yes. All right. So we're up to my number one top five albums of 1997 here on this Only Three Lads podcast. And uh, looks like we have a duplication. Oh, no. My number one, I really couldn't say it any better than Brett did. But Radiohead, OK Computer. Now, of course, they didn't think this was going to be commercial at all. Their record label, EMI, uh, people called it dense and terrifying. And Brett, I'm so shocked that you like this so much because this album really put a dagger in that Britpop that you love. Yeah, it kind of did. Yeah, it, it kind of killed it off. And then they really influenced the next generation of especially British alternative bands. But my favorite song, Karma Police. I mean, anytime you hear that, the hair on my arms and the back of my neck stand up. God, I love that song. So that's my number one. I can't say anything more than what you've already said, Brett. So we'll just leave it at that. Radiohead, OK Computer, one of the most important albums probably of the last 25 years. That's my number one. Probably of all time. Yep. Could be. Could be. I'm the butthead that knocked it out for not having a triple. So you guys hit a double. <laughs> yeah, but you were thinking, though. Yeah, your list is certainly unique, and um, you've given me a lot of homework. Cool. And hopefully, and hopefully the listeners, too. Yeah, hopefully. Okay, so why do I have a feeling that you guys can already guess my number one? Oh, because I already told you it already. Yep. <laughs> well, this album was released on February 10th, 1997. Yeah. And went to number one in the UK. As far as I know, I also had the distinction of being the first person in San Diego to snag this album. Because I, I bought the first copy from Off the Record when the import buyer came back uh, on its day of release in England. That night, I also wrote what I believe was the first American review of the album on AOL, which now makes it sound like a long ago, even though it doesn't feel like it. My love for this band made this the most anticipated album of the year for me. All right. So any guesses? I don't have one. No. I already said I my know. guess. Yeah, Blur. No. Okay. Yep. That's no, it. There you go. Yes. It's, it's Blur's Blur. fifth self-titled album. Of course, the advanced buzz about this album was that this was their quote unquote American album, despite being recorded in Iceland where they disposed of the very British pop of the last three albums and veered in noisier terrain like Pavement and Pixies. Those of us paying attention, of course, particularly to their B-sides, knew that they already had that side of them, but the Blur album pushed it to the forefront. But although it explores some new territory, it's still very undoubtedly recognizably Blur. 
The songs are impeccably crafted, and Damon Albarn's songwriting chops are in fine form, although lyrically he largely abandons the character studies of The Great Escape and turns inward. His vocals are also a little scruffier and looser than before. Graham Coxon is the star of the show here, his guitar exploding, gurgling, sputtering, snaking, and swirling through these tracks like he's a mad scientist let loops in a lab. You really get a sense of what an innovative guitarist he is right here. This album was another classic in the catalog of the best band of the 90s, in my opinion, of course. The good and the bad of this album, it finally gave Blur some much-deserved recognition in the U.S. so that people didn't stare at me blankly when I waxed ecstatic about them. However, it also led to the inevitable, eye-roll-inducing comments of, Oh yeah, dude! I like that woohoo band! Man, how can this album be 23 years old? It just still sounds fresh to me. I love it today as much as I did then. So, my number one, Blur by Blur. Ah, that's awesome. Now, Brett, uh, I always heard that that song, too, the Woohoo song, um, basically was kind of their play off of grunge music. That That's where that song came from. Do you know if that's true or not? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was specifically grunge, but it was definitely an homage to um, American indie uh, things, like I said, like Pavement and Pixies. To me, I hear a lot of Pixies in song, too. Okay. Well, because I remember the first time I heard that song, middle of the night, I'm driving. It was cold. And I remember hearing "Woohoo!" Cold. And I just remember, cold yeah, well, Arizona. It was probably well. It was fe- February, April at night. You know, it probably gets down to like fifty degrees oh. here. Yeah, it was I mean, eighty-four. Come on. Yeah, it was, you know, during the day, it was middle of the night. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, you can see a lot of the ladies that like to wear their scarves, and it's like sixty-three degrees. You're like, yeah. you're kidding me, right? Why do you have Uggs uh-huh. on right now? Um, but yeah, because I guess we have uh, pretty thick blood here now with all this heat. So when it gets cold, boom, we get freezing. Um, but that's definitely it. I remember hearing that in the middle of the night. And then I was like, what is this band? But I knew because, you know, boys and girls from Blur in the early 90s, which I loved. Uh, and then it was like, that's Blur. And I was shocked. But uh, I remember hearing those songs for the first time. And we played the heck out of that song on alternative radio also back in the 90s. Yep. All right. KEDJ there, Greg, or what? That's right, 106.3, and then became yep. 106.3, 100.3, The Edge. Bounced around, and yeah. Sure. God, we were we were just a huge station. When we first came into the Phoenix market in 93, uh, people hadn't heard anything like that on Phoenix radio before, and it was like an epiphany. It was so many people. It was People loved it. Like I think a lot of the young people today don't realize that that's how we would define ourselves, or like we would say, hey, you know that guy Bueno? He's a... You know, he listens to the edge and that right yeah. there would tell you what kind of person they are, you know, or what they're kind of like. And, oh, well, he's a KZZP guy. Oh, he's a he's a, you know, like like a kiss guy or whatever it was. So that's how you defined yourself and defined other people by what music and radio station they listen to. But kids don't have that nowadays. And I think that's why we don't have that common experience of new music. And sometimes, you know, because we, we, we don't all go to the same place to hear it. And uh so I think there's good and bad in that, but I think that with um, sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but I think more people with streaming sometimes hear some of these bands, but it just takes longer and we don't have that common experience. Yeah. You know, you know I think that's the way we all should be judged um, when we get to the great pearly gates. I think 
St. Peter should uh, judge us based on our record collections. Absolutely. And in that case, then all three of us will get the golden pass. I have no problem with whatever decisions anyone makes in their own lives until it comes to music. (laughs) And then when they're saying that they uh, bought the Hanson album over Radiohead's OK Computer in 1997, uh, then they can go to hell. Mm, that was Mbop by Hanson on 106.3 The Edge. Never yeah. happened. That never happened. But then 91X was playing the Blurs and the Blurs song, song 2 and uh, Beetle Bum and, uh, you know, 91X. I mean, that's the way it is. But, uh, hey, you know, that album actually lost the nomination for Best Album. Who do you think it lost it to? Hanson. <laughs> that would have been appropriate. Um, hmm. Is it the Grammys yeah, no. you're talking about? Uh, the NMA Awards, NME Awards, actually. Ooh, okay. The NME Awards. Uh-huh. Uh, how about Oasis? Radiohead. Okay, computer. Ah, uh, yeah. well, that makes sense. Well, yeah. at least at least it deserved it. You know, the one album from 97 that uh, made my very long yep. list, but ultimately was a dud, was Be Here Now by yep. Oasis. That was on mine, too. I got that down yeah. to my last That was 22. their double album, right? Yep. Was, was that their double yeah, album? Yeah, it was long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember going to the, people were to the midnight that, sale though. to buy that album, and, and I took it home, and I'm like, man, not every song has to be eight minutes long. They might have been a little indulgent by that time. There was one band that I that I loved back then, but uh, it, it just didn't make my final cut, but it was uh, called P- Pixicato 5. You ever heard of them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Great band, All Pixicato right. 5. Well, that's a great record, too. Happy End of the World. Yeah, I think they were from Japan, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Let's run down our top five albums of 1997. Bueno, beginning with you. All right. Number five, Everclear, So Much for the Afterglow. Number four, Third Eye Blind, their first record. Uh, Harvey Danger, Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone, also their first record. Sarah McLaughlin's Surfacing, number two. And my number one, Love This Record, Foo Fighters, The Color and the Shape. All right, in my top five albums of 1997, number five, Depeche Mode's Ultra. Number four, Sarah McLaughlin's Surfacing. Number three, Save Ferris, It Means Everything. Number two, The Prodigy with Fat of the Land. And number one, Radiohead, OK Computer. Brett, what's your list? Okay, my list, the antithesis of Bueno's North American heavy list, (laughs) is number five, Primal Scream's Vanishing Point. Number four, Barafundal by Gorky Zygotic Monkey. Number three, In It for the Money by Supergrass. Number two, OK Computer by Radiohead. And number one, Blur's Self-Titled. This was a tough week. Any heartbreak for any of you guys who had to leave something off? Yeah, actually the album that almost, almost made it, but then I thought, well, maybe, you know, it might be scoffed at for not being too alternative was impossible princess by kylie minogue recorded right around the time that she was hanging out with nick cave and and uh manic street preachers are on that album so it's a great album what about you bueno yeah you know i got two but uh i'm not sure if anybody's even heard of this one uh lorena mckenna i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right the book of secrets Hmm. it was the mummer's dance when i first heard that i'm like i gotta get this woman's album and and make a long story short, I think she's like sold like over 20 million records up in Canada and incredible. I mean, wow. I had to cut her out of there and, uh, and, uh, Green Day, Nimrod just, mm. uh, yeah. didn't, didn't have enough for me on that. Record, well, for me, so. it was 311 Transistor and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Let's face it. Of course, the impression that I get was on that one. Okay. So let's break out the great O3L randomizer and let's do it. 
All right, no whammies, no whammies. Yeah. And stop. Okay, so we're only going to jump a couple years ahead. Uh, next week's topic will be the top five albums of 1999. Oh my gosh. The very tail end of the O3L era. Oh my word. Our last year. Top five albums of 1999. That's our list for next week here on the Only Three Lads podcast. Don't forget, tell your friends about us. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Apple Podcast, and the iHeartRadio app. And don't forget, get to Facebook, like us, tell your friends about us, and you can also jump on the shop there. We have a lot of merch that you guys can get. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? Well, as always, thanks for listening, and we're just having an incredible ride. We're really enjoying ourselves, and we hope that shines through, and you guys are having fun, too. Definitely. Thanks for listening. Like always, be bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. We do not own the rights to any of the other music featured in this program. If you like what you hear, go to your local record store and buy the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. Check out the O3L episode playlist on Apple Music and Spotify for a guide through today's show. For the latest updates, join the community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And don't forget to click the Shop Now button on our page for the coolest threads. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.